0: Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business news podcast from Business in Vancouver, newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Orton. Now, Vancouver, it's among the best cities in the world for women entrepreneurs to strike out and launch a business. That's according to the latest rankings from Dell Technologies. So on today's show, we'll be joined by the company's national director here in Canada. That's Pam Peltier who's going to break down the results and explain why Vancouver is a top destination for women in business. And then after that, Retail Insider's Craig Patterson, one of our regulars here on the program, he's discussing ongoing staff shortages facing retailers, efforts to make food retailers go cashless, and how it might actually be kind of discriminatory. And finally, we'll do a quick recap on Amazon's latest Prime Day dominance and what it means for its main competitors. But first, let's kick it off with a discussion about women entrepreneurship. New rankings from Dell Technologies peg Vancouver as one of the top destinations in the globe for women entrepreneurs. Joining us today to break down what it takes to make Vancouver a premier spot for women to launch a business, it is Pam Pelche. She is Dell's national director here in Canada. I want to thank you for joining the show. Before we dive into these rankings, though, let's talk a little bit about what you guys were evaluating when it came to these global rankings. What were some of the criteria involved in this?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Tyler, and thank you for having me. Um, When we looked at the rankings, we were looking at five key areas, market, talent, capital, culture, and technology, all of these as indicators to determine how um, good a city's ability was to foster women entrepreneurs.
0: So one of the things that we note here is Vancouver and Toronto, both doing quite well amongst global cities. Tell us a little bit where are these Canadian cities ranked and maybe where are we doing well at right now?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, overall, the uh, Canadian, within the Canadian cities, Toronto, Vancouver, Toronto ranked number nine and Vancouver ranked slightly behind at number eleventh. But both are seen as extremely desirable cities to foster women entrepreneurship. Um, You know, this is based, Tyler, on favorable government policies and increase in funding and access to capital and a high skill set all contributed.
0: One of the things that I often hear about, and we've had other people on the show talk about this quite a bit in depth, but tell me what your results found here with regards to the question about capital. Is that still one of the big barriers that we find with regards to women entrepreneurs, you know, seeking out new business opportunities?
1: Yeah, that's, that's definitely one of the biggest drivers. I mean, if you look at it from a global perspective, that's the case, and certainly here in Canada and in, in Vancouver. So Vancouver ranked on capital 19th, um, so not, certainly not a bad score, but some opportunity, and I think that you know Vancouver has, um, or the results showed that Vancouver has a strong women's capital base, um, allowing for Vancouver to support women entrepreneurs now more than ever. So definitely improved in that result, but lots more to go.
0: Well, one of the questions I ask, like, how much is this kind of a a city maturing in terms of its business ecosystem? You maybe look at the Bay Area where they've had a longer history of seeking out venture capital, for example, and maybe that gives opportunities to more women entrepreneurs. Or is it a, a cultural thing? Is it a business thing or is it a mix of both here? Do you have an idea of maybe what's going on?
1: I mean, I'd say it's a mix of both, but uh, Vancouver scores very high in culture, and I'll go into that in a sec. But it, you mentioned the Bay Area. Um, the the global results this year, uh, within those results, the San Francisco Bay Area overtook New York for the number one spot. Um, largely because the Bay Area is one of the best places for women to gain access to capital, to your point. Um, in terms of the, the, the Vancouver results, the highlight for the Vancouver results were, in fact, on culture. So, you know, the, the results showed that Vancouver is transitioning into an inclusive uh, and, and diverse um, cultural spot and, and favorable policies geared, t- geared towards women entrepreneurship make it that much richer.
0: So maybe take me through it a little bit. When we talk about culture is, with regards to these results, what are we talking about exactly? What, what does it mean here?
1: Well, there's different aspects of, of culture. Um, part of it is the, the, the city's ability to, to foster that diversiveness and inclusiveness, um, and then also the, uh, the, the, the policies that are put in place um, to allow it to happen.
0: So the other thing that uh, I would be curious about is how much of a factor it is, you know, say government policies versus, say, business, you know, the private enterprise policies. Uh, what is kind of the responsibility or where do you see some of the cities that are doing quite well really having, I guess, kind of the the energies being put forth? Is it maybe the private sector, the public sector? What's going on?
1: It really is a combination of all three. So if you, if you look at Canada specifically, you know our government has made some with their you know 2018 federal government um, budget we've made some real advancements in terms of investments in order to help female entrepreneurs so there is definitely that aspect when it comes to the federal government um there's also specific uh, aspects of you know certain cities and what they can do and what they have done in terms of fostering and that that kind of again You know, Vancouver has made huge improvements, but still lots of work to do there.
0: And so it is interesting that we do see uh, concerted efforts on different levels of government uh, to move forward with this. Uh, One of the things that I I do have to look at, though, is maybe kind of the the gender gap that often uh, persists in business. We had uh, new rankings from CBRE come out last week, and they're evaluating uh, 20 or I should say 50 markets across North America for the tech sector and I I know we were talking about kind of the broader entrepreneurial stuff going on here but they did find that Vancouver ranks the lowest in terms of the gender gap with a a male to female ratio of uh, 83% to uh, 17% And, and I'm just wondering if we're seeing a persistent gender gap here with regards to women entrepreneurs or small business owners what have you. Is there still something that a little disconcerting about maybe the numbers here?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't have the specific numbers in terms of, you know, Tyler, the, the gender gap for Vancouver, but I'd say it's absolutely persistent. And I think that this report um, and others will help to identify the the areas for businesses and governments to grow. And, and I mean, part of the, the output and the recommendations of this particular report is to, um, you know, to look at ways that we can help, um, you know, with incentive programs, for example, right? To, to modernize the grant and the loan programs to, to reduce that gender gap within the, the entrepreneurs.
0: Well, it, it's also interesting because you see organizations like, say, uh, BDC, a uh, Business Development Ca- uh, Bank of Canada, for instance, they, they are taking uh, specific roles uh, with regards to like women entrepreneurs too. Are, are we seeing uh, maybe on you know the top of the culture going back to that again? Are, are we seeing just kind of this recognition that w- if our economy is to be as successful as it can, it has to be as inclusive as possible too.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you look at the the, the changes that have been made here in Canada, uh, and you know the, the recommendations and what we're implementing, I think there is a firm belief, a firm belief that we need to invest in order to reduce the gaps, and there will be um, enormous um, economic uh, success as a result of that. I think the, you know, the government has got, you know, a goal of doubling the number of women-owned businesses by 2025. And, and like I said, they're making a $2 billion investment in order to uh, to get to that goal.
0: Maybe speaking about it broadly, but if you look at some of the uh, top-performing cities in this list here, uh, you know, beyond, say, Vancouver and, and Toronto, what do they have in common with regards to ensuring that it is a good environment uh, for women to succeed as entrepreneurs?
1: You know, I think the biggest, you know, thing that' stuck out to me there, Tyler, is they had an extremely balanced um you know approach and a, and a balanced result. so they scored you know market, talent, capital culture, and technology combined really to have this great these great results again, New York being one of them, Bay Area being a second and and, and just to to note too when we started looking at these results. Tyler, um, you know, in 2017, because we saw a need for it, we started researching and we published the first report in 2017. Overall, every single city has improved. Every city has improved within the last two years. um, And with these new results, the rankings changed in certain cases, but every city has improved. So that's a really good sign. Having said that, you know, the top ranking city, which is the Bay Street area, is still at 63.7% um, of the you know overall 100% that they could have scored. Mm. So still a long ways to go for all of the city for, for female entrepreneurship.
0: Well, a, a, as we wrap up here, I, I just have to ask because my own personal interest in this, I, I covered the technology beat here at the newspaper. And so I'm curious, so when you're looking at the technology segment as part of these rankings, what are you guys evaluating there? And tell me how it ties into having a good, healthy ecosystem for women entrepreneurs
1: yeah i mean, i I think it's a it's it's got a big impact. You know we at Dell, of course are involved in um you know women entrepreneurs. we're we're putting out this um, index. For, you know, a very good reason, we believe that we can have a big impact as far as technology goes. Um, I think that Vancouver specifically is more connected um, than ever, and it makes a big difference here. And, it, you know, the combine, combine that with favorable policies that, that foster women entrepreneurship, um, you know, it's allowing Vancouver and other cities, you know, to become, you know, to allow female entrepreneurs to grow and to scale their business.
0: Do you think results like this, having Vancouver, Toronto, etc., kind of being marketed as, as these prime destinations, uh, it's going to act as a magnet of sorts to other women from across the country, or, or do you hope that maybe other cities throughout Canada can continue to improve and, and foster kind of these good places to launch a business?
1: Both of those things, Tyler. So, so just on the first, I think that we've seen um, a trend where women entrepreneurs in Canada, used to have to go to the bigger the areas. They used to have to go to New York. They used to have to go to San Francisco. Now they're staying in Canada, and they're able to stay in Canada. We want to we be able to promote more female women entrepreneurs within Canada. And yes, I do think we, we also want to index more of the Canadian cities, because I think there's a big opportunity for us here in Canada to do
0: that. Well, excellent. Uh, Pam, thank you so much for joining us on the show and discussing these results here.
1: Thank you, Tyler, for having me.
0: That's Pam Pelche. She is National Director at Tell Technologies. And stay with us, Retail Insider's Craig Patterson joins us right after this. And joining us today to talk about all the latest news in retail, it is Craig Patterson, Editor-in-Chief at RetailInsider.com. Craig, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. All okay, right. So first up, you guys have a story on your website that's documenting staff shortages facing retail right now. Uh, they delve into some of the interesting reasons that are going on here. But tell me, is this kind of a consistent story that we've been hearing a lot more of more recently going on across all of Canada?
2: I would say so. Um, looking at the report, they quoted an expert, Suzanne Sears, in the article and uh, um, she was basically saying that, you know, a, a unemployment wasn't always so low, right? Um, we're in an interesting time where, you know, we've got a booming economy in Canada, uh, maybe not quite as much as the United States, but we're pretty close. And uh, there are a lot of jobs, you know, we're creating them, and uh, some of them are well-paying. You know? and, and retail jobs aren't necessarily known for being the best-paying jobs, or also, you know, they're not known for, you know, maybe treating employees uh, as well as some other industries might. So. What we are seeing is, uh, yes, yeah, this is a real, really challenging time because if you think about it, uh, if you can shop online, to have a successful physical store, you need to have you know decent customer service, and with that comes you know decent staff, and if you can't find them, then you know this could really impact retail sales. It's quite concerning.
0: Well, the other thing that the story noted though is just the turnover rate. Uh, Suzanne Sears is uh, talking a lot about how you have what like 80 to 90 percent turnover in the course of one year, so that puts even more pressure on people to hire retrain these folks it's kind of a thinner and thinner margins for a lot of these businesses right
2: well yes it's really really concerning and we are seeing that type of turnover um both in you know smaller retailers maybe not even so much smaller ones but certainly it's there as well as large retailers and i know for example um i was told when nordstrom opened in toronto i think in their first year they had an 88 percent turnover at their downtown location for example i don't have the stats for vancouver i don't think it was quite as bad but um yeah no i mean (laughs) When some of these stores have opened, you know, in Vancouver, for example, you would go and see who the sales staff were. And, you know, they were poached from, you know, Holt Renfrew and Hudson Bay and other, and Leone and other stores. And, you know, um, it's almost like, you know, you know, the employees are moving from one, one store to the other. And then if they don't like where they move to, they'll go to another retailer. And uh, again, you've got to, you know, retain staff training them, you know, is expensive and, 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 you know, costly. And very often, even say at a higher end, um, these employees develop relationships with shoppers. And if you lose that employee, you may also lose that relationship, which, uh, you know, could be very detrimental as
0: well. Well, do you have any theories as to why the industry is facing these shortages at this given moment in time?
2: I do. I've got a few. I mean, I think given the availability of jobs in other sectors that may pay more. Uh, I think that that's one of the challenges. Uh, also, I mean, retail, it's a tough business. I mean, you know, it can be it can be strenuous on a person's body if you're standing around dealing with people all day. Um, the hours can be a bit wonky. I mean, you know, you may end up working Saturdays and Sundays and, You know, all of these, you know, and also sometimes there's a lack of consistency. I mean, I know there are some laws around last minute uh, scheduling of employees, but that still does happen in retail. You know, stores are open, you know, on weekends and holidays. And, uh, you know, when you have a schedule that isn't, say, nine to five, for some, that is not going to be a desirable job. And also, I don't think that, you know, retail for many people has been seen as something that would be a career. It's often looked at as, you know, a leaping point, say, between, you know, either, you know, going to school and having a quote-unquote real career, Uh, you know, at least that's sort of the perception that we're seeing. And I know there is a movement with some of the universities uh, that have retail schools, you know, uh, McGill, University of Alberta, um, you know, York, some of the schools that have a retail focus, uh, you know, they are trying to promote retail as a career because, you know, there are a couple of people in Vancouver, you know, at Holt Renfrew that are actually themselves earning over a million dollars a year selling fashion. So you know, it isn't like all retail jobs are, you know, low paying, but um, certainly that is the norm, unfortunately. And I think that is one of the challenges is, you know, the scheduling as well as, uh, the amount of money. And, you know, some retailers have even said that they don't feel respect in their jobs, uh, you know, from their employer, even as well as from the customers. And I think that, you know, all of this makes for a very challenging time. For retailers and employees
0: working there. Well, I know that the topic of automation in retail spaces, whether we're talking fast food or talking about like the actual you know, brick and mortar stores, uh, that's been uh, of concern to a lot of people, especially when you look at these jobs uh, that could be at risk here. But does automation actually solve some of these problems that we're talking about right now?
2: um it doesn't it doesn't uh you know self checkouts are really being promoted right now in retailers like shoppers drug mart and uh, i suppose in the long run this is a way for them to graduate out of having you know people working at tills hopefully that is still something that you know does happen i mean i, I kind of prefer going through a till with a human being and have them ring things through but um yeah I, I was in a store last week where someone said oh look this is great they have a self-checkout till and i thought okay well some people obviously prefer this Uh, which, you know, is interesting as well. So, uh, you know, as we continue to see labor shortages in retail, I mean, self-checkouts may, you know, become necessary. Uh, You're not building that one-on-one relationship with the consumer, I don't think, by, you know, basically having the consumer interact with technology in your store. I mean, you can, I could order something online and if the retailer delivers, it's probably going to be easier anyways. But, you know, some people still prefer that physical brick-and-mortar experience and I'm still currently in that category myself Uh, you know I still like going to stores buying stuff going to a till and having a human check it out but you know, things are changing so quickly. I, I don't know. I mean, that may not be something that we see so much of in the future.
0: Yeah. Uh, one of the other things that you guys have up right now is a column uh, looking at efforts to get food retailers on board with cashless payments. But uh, it does bring up a, a couple of concerns uh, about whether that might actually be kind of a discriminatory practice to a certain degree. But tell me a little bit about what you're seeing from food retailers right now as we see this big push to, you know, get rid of cash.
2: It's interesting because we're seeing a real shift away from cash and retailers. You know, now we're able to tap a credit card on a machine and go. And, uh, you know, the whole Amazon Go phenomenon takes it one step further. It also speaks to our conversation on, you know, staffing because, you know, in an Amazon Go store, you know, I haven't tried it myself or in the United States only. But, you know, basically uh, you go in, you have an app, you put stuff in your basket, uh, um, you know, it's, it's registered and you can kind of basically walk out. You know, obviously the individual's paid for the product, but it's been done you know, automatically. And, uh, you know, I, I love that in terms of having an incredible convenience. But uh, that is kind of, you know, discriminatory, I guess, those who don't have a credit card or have that, you know, option of having that virtual money, I guess you would say. So there may actually be a, a bit of a blowback in terms of saying, well, you know, this is not good for someone that you say that prefers to pay with cash. And some American cities are actually, you know, looking at banning this if they haven't already. I think San Francisco and Philadelphia are examples.
0: Yeah, it is interesting, uh, especially when we think about, say, the Amazon Go example, uh, because look, if you're not like a a smartphone owner, if you're not somebody who has a bank account, I don't think you have the option to use what could be kind of the, the future of, say, technology at food retailers, especially though
2: that's right like my parents don't have a smartphone they have a cell phone but it's an old-fashioned one and you know i'm sure there are a lot of people like that and in theory they would be shut out of these types of retailers and you know i suppose that's not a good thing for the retailer in the long run but it's definitely not good for the consumer because it's almost like you know some may feel unwelcome uh in these types of stores and you know i mean that's not good for consumer perception uh, of the brand but you know just on a human level you know it it limits the shopping uh, options and. Say, for example, if all retailers were to go in that direction and not accept cash, I mean, that could shut out, you know, people from being able to get their necessities. So I, I kind of see where the issue is uh, in this respect. And it it's kind of unfortunate that, you know, there is that inequality in the world and that, you know, uh, there's either going to have to be, you know, a mon- monumental shift in how we all, you know, uh, I guess, pay for things in the long run somehow with technology as the older generation, you know, passes on and, You know, decades to come, but we're also seeing this technology moving so quickly that within, you know, two to three years, I think that a lot of companies would actually want this to be standard, uh, you know, as per their goals uh, with these rollouts of the technology. So, you know, in in the long run, I don't know. I mean, uh, I think that there may be a slower rollout or they're going to have to figure something else uh, I would, if they want to, you know, make this go mainstream in terms, in terms of say, you know, Amazon go like type of retailers and there are other retailers testing this out as well in China. And uh, I think more coming to the uh, coming to North America as well.
0: I I just also wonder if maybe there are solutions that might already be presenting themselves in other countries. Uh, If I recall correctly, I think Sweden has been on a a huge campaign to get rid of cash essentially and and just go all digital with regards to purchases. So I just wonder if maybe there's some answer they have there. But uh, then I I also think that there's less of an income gap between uh, the the richest and the poorest in a country like Sweden. So maybe that's why it's not nearly as discriminatory as it would be in some North American jurisdictions. But um, one of the other things I I, I wanted to talk to you about, uh, Craig, though, is uh, L.L. Bean. It's uh, going to be opening its very first store here in Canada. This is a brand that I I was familiar with mostly from childhood. I I grew up down in Seattle and it was quite ubiquitous there. Uh, Not nearly as much in Canada. But uh, how do you think this Brand is going to play here in Canada, and do you think we could be seeing a store in Vancouver sometime soon?
2: Yes, to all of that. (laughs) I think that uh, you know we're able to track readers on articles that we put in Retail Insider, and LL Bean uh, got thousands and thousands and thousands of readers. So. Clearly, there's a brand awareness in Canada and, uh, you know, as the store in uh, the first one in Canada is going to be opening in Oakville, uh, which is outside of Toronto, basically between Toronto and Hamilton in a shopping centre there. And uh, we've seen, you know, significant uptick in uh, readership on that old article, which means people are curious and wondering. And, and, you know, some of these brands have done really, really well with marketing, even in Canada. You know, LL Bean clearly has a tremendous brand awareness awareness. Uh, same thing with, um, you know, Untuck It, for example, and uh, why, why I mentioned that is, you know, they came into Canada, they're going to be coming to Vancouver, it's, it's a men's brand where you wear your shirts untucked, I think we talked about it before, uh, you know, their number one store in the entire world is in, in the only location, oh, sorry, no, there's three open now, but the first location, I should say, in Canada, opened in Toronto, it became their best store in the entire world, so… Wow. Um, you know, these brands can be very successful if they come to Canada. I think LL Bean will be one of them. And, uh, you know, they have said uh, that, uh, you know, they're working with a Canadian partner, JTACS, uh, which is kind of a brand conglomerate representative, I think you would call it. And, uh, you know, they do plan on coming to the Vancouver market. Um, I, I don't think we would see one in downtown Vancouver, or just kind of knowing how the brand is positioned. You know, you're going to see it in a suburban center and trying to guess even where that might be because you know the first location being in oakville i mean that's sort of like west vancouver so Mm -hmm. you know park royal might be sort of the equivalent that you'd look at in the lower mainland uh, or possibly somewhere more in the eastern suburbs but i think just given the price and the popularity you know west vancouver would you know make and so I think for this type of brand.
0: Well, I'll be keeping my eyes out for that. It's going to be interesting. And just a few moments ago, we were talking about Amazon Go, but maybe let's talk about Amazon Prime Day very briefly. It, it uh, wrapped up last week and it, it wasn't just a day. It was uh, Amazon Prime two days uh, to a certain degree. Uh, I love the fact that uh, competitors, they're all just scrambling to keep up at this point. eBay even like had a commercial. It was very on the nose. It had like a, a teenage daughter named Alexa, and uh, they're essentially just urging people to uh, still purchase on eBay, even though Amazon Prime Day was uh, going on. Uh, what do you make of all this competition uh, that uh, Amazon has and whether, I don't know, they just have this persistent dominance uh, when it comes to the dead of summer?
2: Oh, you can smell the fear from the competitors, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, they, they look at Amazon Prime Day, I mean, Amazon Prime Day this year, I just guess we're almost going to become Amazon Prime Week from the looks of it, as they can yeah. continue to expand. You know, it was it was 36 hours last year. It was 24 hours a week before. It was 48 this year. Um, you know, <laughs> you know, re- I think retailers are scrambling. I mean, this was the, the you know more sales were done from Amazon Prime Day than Black Friday and Cyber Monday combined. I mean, that alone, you know, is quite shocking. And uh, you know, as Amazon continues to gain market share, the competitors are you know. Uh, And so, you know, they're trying to come at this. And I mean, I I love the fact they're using humor, uh, you know, trying to promote that they too are there, you know, Best Buy had promotions. A lot of companies, you know, a lot of retailers in Canada and, and, you know, in the United States had promotions to try to counter Amazon Prime's day, uh, you know, in terms of its popularity. And Amazon, I mean, I think it's a brilliant thing. You have to be an Amazon Prime member to uh, take part in the Prime Day. And, you know, a lot of people did sign up for uh, memberships. So, you know, they did actually get get a lot of new... uh, Subscribers to Amazon Prime. And in Canada as well, I mean, it's only $79 Canadian to be a member. And in the United States, you have to pay $119 US. Yeah,
0: uh, which is fascinating. Yeah. Isn't that interesting?
2: It's It's usually kind of reversed. (laughs)
0: Yeah.
2: Usually it's the opposite, right? But uh, in this case, you know, Amazon's certainly been kind to Canada. I think it's because we're still an emerging market and they really want to you know, blow this up and see the same, you know, Amazon's prime subscriber base as in the United States. But I think I'm, I could be wrong, but I think forty two percent of Canadian households are Amazon Prime subscribers already so oh, wow. like holy cow if they plan on growing that a lot more I mean you know how far does it go 100% I mean I think more than 50% of American households are, are Amazon Prime subscribers so you know I would predict that we would see obviously an increase in Canada I mean I'm a, I'm a Prime <laughs> subscriber it's actually quite useful to want to order stuff online quickly uh, and uh, you know, there's other benefits with TV and streaming music I think and other stuff that I don't use <laughs> but you know, the, and, and they're really trying to tie that in. I mean, they want to, they want to own the consumer or, or you know, they want to be top of mind, uh, you know, in, in whatever you're doing, you know, they got smart speakers you can talk to you know, with Alexa, which mine's about to turn on. If I say it, it just did. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, uh, uh, you know, it's exciting and it's also concerning because, you know, I wouldn't want to use the word monopoly because there's always, you know, I think going to be other retailers out there, but, but, you know, Amazon's incredibly aggressive and, you uh, Uh, you know, selling all kinds of things, including counterfeits, apparently.
0: Yeah, I've heard those stories. Well, uh, Craig, it's going to be fascinating to see that unfold in the coming years as as competition just scrambles to keep up. But uh, for now, I want to thank you for joining us on the program today. Thank you for having me. That's Craig Patterson, Editor-in-Chief at RetailInsider.com. And that's it for the show today. We'll be back tomorrow. You can find our archives on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Share with your friends. It's going to help even more people find the show. For now, I'm Tyler Orton. Thanks for listening.